You can open up to uh, Matthew chapter 10. We're going to continue our uh, study through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, before we turn to God's Word, let me just uh, make a few announcements. Uh, first thing is uh, next week, uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we're going to be starting up Monflesh again. Monflesh is our uh, men's uh, fellowship, kind of discipleship gatherings uh, that we're probably we're going to be doing every month, probably the next eight or nine months. We're going to be doing that uh, the fourth Wednesday of every month. Uh, we eat together, uh, just hang out, have uh, fellowship, and uh, we're going to have some teaching, uh, probably on uh, apologetics and things. Uh, 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 Paul Fredette will, uh, is, is the elder who oversees Monflesh, but that's going to be starting up again, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. So guys, uh, you know, save that Wednesday and come and be a part of that. If you never come to Monflesh, it's a great, great time together. Um, another thing that's uh, also going to be starting up in a few weeks is our School of Theology. So one of the things that we have uh, started this year is our home groups, um, we have put on a 10-week cycles that uh, began in, in the beginning of January where our home groups are meeting for 10 weeks. And then what we're going to have is after our 10-week cycles is a four-week break from home groups. It's going to give home group leaders a uh, break from leading and from hosting. And on Sunday afternoons at 4.30, we're going to um, come back here. This is starting March 16th. We're going to have uh, a number of classes available. We're going to come together as a church, sing together, and then go to classes. We're going to have a, a membership class. If you're new to Christ Church, you could take a membership class. We're gonna, uh, da- Pastor Daniel is going to be uh, teaching a class on uh, overview of the Bible and reading the Bible. I'm going to be a, uh, teaching a class, a four-week class on parenting. And, uh, and then we're going to have uh, children's classes and things like that. So uh, this is going to be starting on March 16th. At the end, our, our, we're going to take a break from home groups for four weeks and come back on Sunday afternoons. We're going to have potluck after the, uh, after the classes. And so this is a new thing that we're going to be trying out this year. We're going to have one school of theology session in the spring coming up soon and then again in the fall and uh, so just be uh, Chris Van Hoffigan is probably going to be uh, telling us more about that in, in the, uh, the weeks ahead but that is uh, uh, that's one thing that's uh, one change one new thing that we got coming up um, so just uh, to be prepared for that um, the last thing that I want to announce is that um, a couple things in, in the bulletins first of all over uh, when you come into the sanctuary there's a stack of uh, these a prayer list that Laura Ungersma is going to be putting together for us every week, which I'm really excited about. Uh, this is something you can take home with your family as an as a aid to pray for uh, people in our congregation, uh, pray for other churches uh, in Bellingham and Whatcom County, uh, pray uh, for missions internationally and ministries that are happening in our church. So I'm really excited about this, to uh, take this home as a guide for my family as we pray together as a family. So grab one of these, stick it in your, uh, stick it in your Bible on the, way, on, on the way out. But Laura's, uh, Laura Ungersma is going to be putting that together. And also, if you have prayer requests, you can uh, uh, contact Laura Ungersma. Her, her contact is, is on the back of this sheet. And let her know, you know, I could really use uh, prayer uh, from my church that, you know, maybe I'm looking for a job or a place to live or I have uh, this struggle that's happening in my life and we can be praying together. One other thing that's happening in the bulletin, and most of you have probably seen this, in the back of the bulletin, we now have sermon discussion questions which uh, home groups are, are using in their home groups to, to talk uh, about the sermon passage that, uh, that I went over on Sunday. But uh, this is really helpful because, you know, I'll put some things in these sermon discussions that I don't talk about in the sermon. So, like, f- for example, today in this passage that I'm about to read, it talks about Jesus telling his disciples to go out and raise the dead and cast out demons. And some of you are going to have questions about, you know, are we supposed to be raising the dead and doing healings? Is that what we're supposed to be doing now? And 
And I'm not going to talk about that in my sermon at all. So you might say, gosh, I'd like to know something about that. Well, if you do the sermon discussion questions, there's some other scriptures that will help you know, guide you through thinking through some of those things. So, um, so check that out. If you're in a home group, you can read these over before your home group. Or you could use these in your family at the dinner table. Just take a question or two. Read over the passage again that we uh, looked at on Sundays. And this, this could be a really good aid for you. So a couple things just to help families in their, in their, um, in their uh, family worship. And um, that's all we have for announcements uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10. The, the passage that we're studying together is printed for you in the bulletin. Um, the first 15 verses of uh, Jesus' second sermon that he gives in the Gospel of Matthew. The first sermon was the Sermon on the Mount uh, back in Matthew's chapters 5 through 7. And now Matthew chapter 10 is a sermon on mission that he gives. And this, uh, these are the words of Jesus uh, for us, his disciples. Matthew 10 verse 1. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, uh, Simon the Canaanian, and uh, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. Acquire no gold, no silver, no copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town truly i say to you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of sodom and gomorrah than for that town let's pray together our lord jesus we thank you that uh, you've spoken such challenging words often surprising words um, that when we study them, we find are so full of life and wisdom and grace. We ask that you would give us your spirit now as we study your word, that you would teach us as a church to be a church on mission. What is the mission you've called us to? And uh, be our teacher, be our guide now. And I pray for those who are sitting here that your spirit would just um, um, call us to faith and to obedience. And, uh, Lord, we love you, and we want to offer our lives to you. So speak to us now, we ask in your name. Amen. So this is a, uh, our second week in a five-week kind of mini-sermon series. As we're studying the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to do a five-week kind of mini-series on the mission of the church. And, um, and last week, we looked at how Jesus really is the initiator of the mission, uh, it's really his mission, and then we're kind of coming along with him and partnering with him in his mission. 
This week, we're going to talk about some of the marks or the qualities of a missional church. As a local congregation like us, what are the marks of a church like ours that is on a mission? So that a church, you know, a church like ours is not just about serving itself. So that we don't just become a church that's insular. But we actually bless our community. We actually do share the gospel. We do open our doors and welcome people in, welcome people into the kingdom. Um, this mission that we're called to, how, what are the marks and distinctives of a church like that? And um, in this passage uh, that I just read to you, Jesus is sending out his uh, 12 disciples uh, who have, he has been training. They've been living with him. He's been teaching them. They've been watching his ministry. They've been watching what he's doing. And now um, he is sending them out to continue the work that he had, he's already begun. And he's going to say, the things that you've seen me do, now I want you to go do them. And I'll tell you what's fascinating to me about this passage I just read is how incredibly practical it is. There's all these details about sandals and leather bags and, uh, you know, what do you do if someone, people don't like you and uh, where are you going to stay when you go on the mission? There's all these details and instructions about how to do this, this mission. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look carefully at these instructions, these detailed instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples as he sends them out. And ask, what, what do we learn about the marks of a missional church? And I think that we learn four things in particular about a church that makes it a church on mission. Four things. We learn about how a missional church views itself, how a missional church views people, how a missional church views money, and how a missional church views its city or its culture, you know, the community that it's in. So four things, how a missional church views itself, views people, views money, and views its city. And um, I think, you know, actually just reading over these verses, when we really go into them and study, this would make a great two-hour lecture, which this is not going to be. But uh, I wish I had two hours to really unpack the implications of a lot of things that Jesus says here. But... um, I think that these are just vital for us as a young congregation. Um, how is the DNA of our church really a missional church? And I, I think that these things are really encouraging as well. So four things, four marks that Jesus gives us. And the first is this, how a missional church views itself. How should we view ourselves as a community? And the first thing that we see in this passage is that, we, uh, that Jesus calls us to view ourselves as a sent community. We are a sent community people. And uh, you see this in verse, tw- verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he says, I am sending you out to the lost. Now let me just, I need to make one quick comment there because Jesus it's kind of odd that he says don't go to the Gentiles the Gentiles are all the people who are not Jews they're not Israelites so actually most of the people in this room are were Gentiles and Jesus says don't go to the Gentiles only go to the Israelites why does he say that well um, one of the patterns of God's mission throughout the Bible the way God goes about his mission to spread throughout the world the knowledge of who he is and to bring people into the kingdom is that God shows a special chosen people in the Old Testament, Israel. And it was going to be through them, they were going to be a light to all the nations of the world, and that he was going to spread the knowledge of himself through them. And what happened, you know, somewhere, you know, for about the five or six hundred years before Jesus came, 
God took Israel and scattered them throughout the Mediterranean world. And uh, they were taken into exile by the Babylonians, but then they were put into all the cities throughout the Mediterranean world. And they established this vast synagogue system. And the synagogues were kind of the precursors to what we're doing right here as a church, you know, where people would come together in a city, there'd be a synagogue, and the Jews would come together and they'd worship and they'd study the Bible. And, uh, and God basically created this whole synagogue system so that when Jesus came 500 years later, there was already in place this support structure for all the people who were going to become Christians. They were going to have a place to go. They were going to have a leadership structure. They were going to have places to visit. And, um, and it turns out that when the gospel went out in the first early centuries of the church, it went first to these synagogues. And in the cities that had synagogues, that's really where uh, uh, people received the gospel the most. And so the reason Jesus says, listen, I want you to go first to the, the, uh, the lost sheep of, of, of Israel is because they are the people that I've already prepared that through them the gospel is going to go to the other nations. There's already the support structure. And so you see that throughout, uh, throughout the New Testament where Paul says that the gospel is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And, uh, and when, he, when Paul goes out throughout the book of Acts, when he goes into cities, he always goes to a synagogue first to share the gospel. And the reason, it's not because the Jews are more important, it's because this is God's plan, is to go through the Jews, first to the Jews, and then through the Jews to all the nations, and then to us. And here we are. So, but the point, the main point, is not the priority of Jews, but the main point is that Jesus told them to go. He sent them. They are sent people. Um, and being a disciple of Jesus means understanding ourselves as a sent people. And that's not just if you're a missionary. That's not just if, you know, God calls you to go to some other country to a lot, you know, people who've never heard the gospel. Wherever you are, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a sent person. And, um, and being sent is not about, you know, stopping your jobs or your hobbies or your life or any of the things that are happening in your life. It's not about stopping those things and now starting the mission of Jesus. But look at what, what Jesus says again in verse 7. And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus establishes a principle for being a sent people is that you are serving Christ as you go. As you go. Um, as you're living your life, as you're doing your hobbies, as you're doing your work, as you're in your neighborhood and building friendships and building relationships, as you're doing those things, Care for people, minister to people, and announce the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is at hand as you're doing those things. And actually, this was an important principle in the, in the early development of the church, in the early centuries. Because you may not uh, know this, but in, in the first century was a critical time for Christ to come. Because one of the things God in his providence had established was that in the Roman Empire during the first century, there was a tremendous amount of peace throughout the Mediterranean world. Uh, the Roman Empire was expansive. There were, they had control over many territories throughout the Mediterranean. And so they had built all kinds of trade routes and roads so that Christians could travel throughout the Mediterranean very freely. And you see Paul in the, in, in the book of Acts, and he's just going all over the place. He's different, you know, he's up in Turkey, and he's, uh, he's going to Greece, and he's going, finally going to Rome, and he wants to go to Spain, and he's traveling all over the place because there was all this freedom for them to go. And what happened was that the early Christians, whether they, you know, they were soldiers or they were merchants, were going about their business, and wherever they were sent to, they carried the gospel with them, and they ministered to people and shared the gospel with people. And actually, I put on, on page three of your bulletin, if you turn there, I put a, a, a quote from... Um, uh, a guy named Kelsus, who was a, a Greek philosopher in the 2nd century, 
who was criticizing Christianity. He was an opponent of Christianity. And one of his uh, criticisms of Christianity was that it wasn't spread through, uh, you know, the Greek schools and the Greek philosophies. It was, the Christianity was spread just by common people going about their work. And this is one of his criticisms. This is what he says. In some private homes, we find people who work with wool and rags and cobblers. That is the least cultured and most ignorant kind. But as soon as they can, they take the children aside or some women who are as ignorant as they are. They speak wonders. If you really wish to know the truth, so if you really want to know about these Christians, this is what he says, leave your teachers and your father and go with the women and children to the women's quarters or to the cobbler's shop or to the tannery, and there you will learn the perfect life. It is thus that these Christians find those who will believe them. Actually, his criticism is that the way Christians spread the gospel is women are gossiping about Jesus while they're doing their laundry. And he says, you know, they're not these educated philosophers who are um, having public lectures and spreading the gospel. It is people going about their life. And one of the things that was so crucial in the early church as the gospel spread was that all the disciples understood themselves as informal missionaries. Informal missionaries, everywhere they went, they were sharing the gospel and caring for people, and they did it in the midst of their daily life. And so this is how does a missional church, if a church has a missional quality, what, how does it view itself? And the first thing is it views itself as a sent people, that wherever we are, God has sent us there. And whatever we're doing, are you a coach? Um, do you have uh, relationships with your neighbors? Are you in your neighborhood association, um, in sports, in your school, in your extended family? Wherever you are, that's where God sent you, to, to minister to people, to show them the love of Christ, and to share the gospel. And so we should have our eyes open. And just it, The beginning of being a missional church is just that sense of a self-awareness that wherever I am, I'm a sent person. God sent me here. But um, it wasn't just how they viewed themselves that made them a missional people. But there's a second thing that we mark or quality that we see of a missional church in this passage, not just how a missional church views itself, but how a missional church views people, views other people. How are we as a church, if we're on mission, to view both ourselves, but really people out in our neighborhood, our neighbors in Bellingham, in Whatcom County, what is our view of them? Now, this might sound kind of harsh, but let me explain this. A missional church views people in the world in two ways. First, we view people as lost without Christ. We understand that people are lost without Christ, and therefore they are needing grace. People are lost without Christ, and they need grace. First, they're lost without Christ. That You cannot come to Christ unless you first have come to realize that you're lost without him. And, uh, and you know, that's not just me as a pastor, you know, talking about people outside of the church. This is, what, this is how Jesus talks. Look at verse 6. But go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says that the people who don't know him yet are actually lost. And now, um, you know, most of us, I think we have some sense of what it means to be lost. 
you know, many of us just look at life and we say, you know, I, I'm not, I don't get how to live. I don't get how to have relationships. I don't get what the purpose of my life is. Often it, it, my life seems out of line with what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I see that I have a tendency to chase after certain things that I think will give, bring fulfillment to my life. And again and again and again, they just fail me. I think that if I fell in love with this person, my life would be perfect. They failed me. I thought if I had this job, my life would be perfect. It failed me. I thought if I had this much money, or if I was this age, or if I got through school, then my life would be... And, and there's a sense where we're like, I'm lost. I don't know how to love God. I don't know how to love other people. But Jesus adds that being lost is something actually more serious. It's more urgent than simply, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. There's something more urgent to it. And look at verse... 14. Jesus says this, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What Jesus says, I mean, these, these are Jesus' words. Gentle Jesus says that uh, if, we, if, 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 if someone rejects him, then one of the things that they're facing being lost is that there is an impending judgment coming, that basically there is a kingdom of darkness. The reason that there's evil in the world is because humanity has rebelled against God and formed a kingdom of darkness, and that we are all by nature a part of this kingdom of darkness, and unless we believe in Christ, only by believing in Jesus, Jesus has come and said, listen, I'm starting a new kingdom, and all people everywhere are free to have all their sins forgiven and just to be welcomed into a new kingdom, where there, it's a kingdom of love and it's a kingdom of life and being children of God but you need to come you need to leave the kingdom of darkness and come in and Jesus says to be lost means that it's not only that I don't know how to live my life but that I am in opposition to God and that there is a judgment coming that I'm going to have to face and I will only stand through that judgment if I'm in Christ it is only in Christ in the forgiveness of sins that is in Christ that I will stand through that judgment it's a, this is an intense word that Jesus says um this is how we're supposed to view the lost. And the only way that we're going to have any urgency about sharing the gospel, reaching out, is we, that we have a sense of uh, how profoundly lost people are without Christ. Now, many people, you might be thinking, as I say that, what is that going to do to a community like ours if we believe that people who don't think like us are lost and going to be under God's judgment. Isn't that going to make us insular, cold, self-righteous, condescending, that we look down on all the other, you know, we're the children of light and they are the children of darkness. Well, isn't that going to cause us to be cold and distant from the culture around us? It's not going to cause us to, uh, you know, and to look down on people who aren't like us? Jesus doesn't think so. Because Jesus says, what, as we look at our own selves, we say, listen, we're lost without Christ. We're by nature lost. We're by, that darkness that's out there lives inside of all of us. And what we found that we needed in our life was not God to come and tell us, you need to be a better person, but that we needed grace in our life. And one of the things that Jesus says here is that the way we view the world as a missional community is we view people and they say, on the one hand, they're lost, but what that means is that they need grace. They need grace dumped upon them. And that's what you see uh, in this passage. Um, 
is that Jesus does not say that people are lost and, uh, and that you should go and look down on them and show them how good you are. No, he says in verse 8, the people are lost, so heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, right? Go and love them. Go and care for them. For you received without pay. Give without pay. You received freely. You received grace. You were lost, and what did God do to you? He dumped grace on your life. He forgave all your sins, and he welcomed you in his family, and he was warm, and he was generous, and he blessed you. And he said, come and be a part of it. And he says, when we have that view of ourselves and our view of people, we realize that what people need in their lives is grace. And that the way that God wants to show people his grace is through us. And because that's what we needed, is what we needed grace. And so that should be the mark, actually, of a missional, a missional church, a church that is on mission, the sense that you should have when you walk into the community. The thing that is in the air, the thing that you smell, the whole atmosphere is an atmosphere of grace. That we are lost people who are coming and saying, we need the grace of God to work in our lives freely. We need God to be open-handed and generous with us. That's what he's done for us, and that's what we want to do for our neighbors. Okay? So first two marks of a missional church is first, how a missional church views itself. It views itself as a sent people. And second, how does a missional church view people? The missional church views people as lost without Christ and therefore needing grace. Needing grace that we just love them, but also they need to hear the gospel of grace. Okay? The third thing that we see in this passage is how a missional church also views money. Which is very interesting. I mean, Jesus is very practical. Right? He does not live just purely in spiritual terms and world. He lives in real concrete matters, and we see two things, two principles about money and the missional church in this passage. And the first is this, is that church leaders should not build the church in order to make money. Church leaders should not build the church in order to make money. And uh, the reality is that Jesus saw that money was a very pressing issue for these disciples. Because look, he's given them all this power, right? They can raise the dead, they can heal people, they can cast out demons, they can heal, lep- cleanse lepers. And what's the temptation going to be? People are going to be willing to pay for that, those powers, right? They could make a lot of money with these powers. And he's saying okay, you cannot use these powers in order to acquire gold and silver and to build up uh, money for yourselves. And actually, this is true just for pastors in general. Because what happens is, you know, pastors speak to a very deep part of people's lives. They speak speak to their souls, to their identity, to their whole hope of, of who they are and who God is and what their life is about. They speak to them on a very profound level. And, um, and, they can use that power for their own gain. And so uh, Jesus says that church leaders must be vigilant to not have a financial motivation in doing church work. Church leaders have to be vigilant. that this is, We're not in this for the money. And uh, you hear Jesus' instructions. Look at verse 9. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts. No bag for your journey. Nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff for the laborer deserves his food. So what Jesus tells to his disciples, these people who are going to be going into full-time church ministry, they're going to be doing their life, he says, uh, he says um, do not store up all kinds of possessions 
in provisions and money for yourself. And one of the things that he's saying is actually to, do, to be on mission, financial security should never be a prerequisite for doing ministry. Financial security should not be a prerequisite for doing ministry. He tells his disciples, I am going to be taking care of you. You focus on doing the work. I'm calling you to do the work. And, uh, and I'm gonna, you're my workers. I'm going to pay for you. I'm gonna, you're, I know you're working. I know you need to be cared for. I know you need food and clothes. I'm going to take care of you. Go and do the work and trust that I'm going to take care of you. And uh, Jesus says something very similar to this in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And what that means is that being a sent people, being a disciple, being on mission, means that as disciples we first ask the question, what is Jesus calling me to do? What is he calling me to do? And then we respond with obedience and say, I trust you. And then we say, and then I trust that God is going to take care of the needs that I have. But my first question is not, am I secure? But what is Jesus calling me to do? And I do it. And I'll just tell you, um, Jesus really does make good on these promises. When he says his workers are worth their wage and that I'm, you know, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you, he really does that. And, you know, I've shared with you as a church our experience in, in planting this church, when, when we were uh, moving to Bellingham in 2009, we were about three months, three or four months away from moving to Bellingham from St. Louis. And uh, we had three children with, my wife was pregnant with twins. We're moving across the country, we had no money. You know, we're coming out of graduate school and I'd been in school for 10 years, you know. <laughs> I didn't build up a lot of money. And we had $25 in our, uh, our um, support fund for raising a church, $25. And we had a core group here that was, had said that they could give $1,800 a month to be a part of this church. And now we had other people that we knew were going to be giving pledges, but we knew God was calling us to this work. He'd opened up door after door after door. He confirmed that he was calling us this, and we come. And somehow, over the next three years, that $25 turned into $200,000. And where that came from? It came from Jesus. <laughs> came from his, his words, and he took care of our family. We've been taken care of, and you guys have taken care of us. And, uh, and God, prov- Jesus takes care of his workers. And so uh, church leaders and his disciples, we don't make our decisions on how we're going to serve Jesus based on financial security. We ask, what is Jesus calling me to do? And we do it. And, you know, actually, I was talking to Michael Wadhams, uh, many of you know, working out on the, the Lummi Reservation uh, out of our church, and uh, he, was, he was just telling me a story uh, that, when, you know, when he was in seminary, he's got a million stories like this, you should ask him. Here's just one, where he was saying, you know, he was in, uh, he was in seminary, um, preparing for the ministry, they, uh, their, their daughter Eden was, was just born. He was at the hospital negotiating with the hospital about the, the cost for the, the delivery of the baby. And they didn't have any money to, to pay for this. And he's trying to get as low as he can. And so uh, he comes home. He finally gets it to an agreed-upon amount that they're going to pay the hospital. He, he comes back to the seminary, and the, the lady at the seminary says, you know, you, there's some stuff in your mailbox. You need to empty it. Your mailbox has been full for a while. So he goes over to his mailbox. He's digging all the stuff out. He finds an envelope in the mailbox, opens it up. There's a check to the penny for the amount that he owed at the hospital. To the penny. And he said, no one knew about that. No one knew 
how much we owe to the hospital. And again and again, you've got to ask him stories. He's got a million stories about it. But Jesus makes good on these promises. He says, go and serve me, and I'm going to take care of you. you. I know you're working for me, and I know you need food, and I need, you know, so I'm going to take care of you. So church leaders should not build the church in order to make money. They should build the church in, as an act of obedience to Christ. But the second principle we see about money is that church members should build the church through giving money. That's Jesus' expectation, is that church members are going to give their money to the building of the kingdom. And you see a couple things here. First of all, you see at the end of verse 10, Jesus says, for the laborers deserve his food. So this is kind of the principle that, you know, uh, uh, you know, in this word for food, it's actually broader than that. It's sort of the provisions. It's, it's your um, uh, uh, living. And what Jesus is saying is that, you know, missionaries, pastors, church planters should not go out being beggars, but they should make a living for the work that they're doing. And then he goes on, and he says in verse 11, look at verse 11. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. So Jesus says these disciples are going to go into these towns and they're going to be setting up stations of ministry and they're going to have a central place out of which they're going to do ministry. I mean, this is, they had house churches then, but it's very similar to what we have now. You're going to have a central place, stay there and do ministry out of that place. And both these things, the, the living for these uh, church leaders and the central place is going to be provided for by the generosity of those who are receiving the gospel. People who are transformed the gospel want their money to go toward the expansion of the kingdom. And uh, Dale Bruner, who's a commentator I've been reading on Matthew, puts it this way. Spiritual benefits awaken deep gratitude. Spiritual benefits awaken deep gratitude. What that means is that when someone hears the gospel, the good news of the gospel of grace, they want to be generous. And that's what Jesus is expecting in the church. Is what's going to happen is that as we begin to love Christ and who he is and what God has done for us, this is where we want to give our money towards. And um, the reason why money is such an important issue as disciples, why Jesus makes a big issue of it. You know, I, one of the reasons why I just preach right through books of the Bible, I just take one passage after the other, is because then I just talk about what Jesus wants to talk about. And it turns out, you know, we talk about money a couple times a year because the Bible talks about it pretty regularly. And the reason that money is such an important issue is because money is a mirror for us. It shows us what we love. The place where our money flows to easily. And we say, of course, my, of course I've got to pay for this. Of course I've got to buy that. Of course I need to, you know, I need to be skiing. I need to have a, you know, a season's pass. That's a kind of a no-brainer. It shows us the things that we love. And the things that you really value and love, your money flows easily towards. And so what Jesus says is that when people come to receive the gospel, their money is going to flow easily towards it. And one of the things that's going to raise as a question for us is some of you say, well, you know, uh, sorry, Pastor, my money doesn't flow easily towards the kingdom of God and the church. You know, what are you saying? You know, maybe, maybe you're not even a Christian. You say, of course my money doesn't flow easily towards the church and the kingdom of God. I don't believe in this. And, uh, and what's the answer to that? Is the answer to say, well, you better start giving because Jesus says to start giving. No. The answer is to, to begin to look at your heart and say, okay, where is my money flowing? My money is flowing to 
uh, my true God, the thing that I put my hope in, the thing that gives meaning to my life, and I have to have it in my life. And to begin to then ask my question, don't think about the money, think about that thing and say, how does this thing, whether it's sports, whether it's hobbies, whether it's possessions or food, or whether it's a house or a certain lifestyle, whatever it is, why am I trusting in that? And how does that God compare with Jesus? Which one loves me better? Which one satisfies me more deeply? Which one gives me truer promises? And so the act of repentance with our money is not start giving more, but ask which is a greater God. And as you turn to Christ and you find that he is a better God, he loves you better, his promises are better, your money will begin to flow towards him and what he's doing. Okay? So... The third thing that we see about a missional church is a spiritual view of money. Thinks about what we're, do, what we're giving our money towards. And uh, church leaders thinking about their priorities with money. So three things we've seen for, so far is uh, about a, the marks of a missional church is how a missional church views itself, views people, and views money. And this is the last, there's one last principle. I know I've said a lot. There's, you see there's a lot in this passage. But I think this is a really crucial one for being a missional church is how a missional church views its city. How does a missional church view the culture? You know, how do we as a church view Bellingham or Whatcom County or the, the community around us? And what we see is that a, a missional church has a dual relationship, two ways in which it, it interacts with the community around it, with the city around it, is that it knows both that, for one, God is at work in the city, but second, also, that there will be opposition. As we do our mission in Bellingham, we first know that God is already at work here, but second, we know that there will be opposition. And the first thing we see so, is that God is at work here. And I know that, you know, I said earlier that our view of people outside of the church is that they're lost without Christ. And, um, but a missional church can also actually have a very positive view of the city and the culture around it. And you see this, look at verse 11, what Jesus says. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house, house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. So Jesus is sending his disciples out to a bunch of lost people. These are people who don't know Christ, and yet Jesus says, among those lost people, there are some who are worthy, that God is already at work in. And you should go wherever God is at work. You should follow where God is already at work and go and, um, and find out who they are. And this is actually a very positive view of people who are lost, that there, that there are people we can learn from. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Claude Acho is a, is a church planner that our church supports. He's church planning in Boston. I uh, just started about six months ago, and I, he was out visiting Bellingham last month, and I had uh, coffee with him. He was just talking about the experience of going out to Boston. It was very hard work. You know, he's just got a few people he's getting started. And one of the things he said is the neighborhood he moved into, all of his uh, neighbors, they're, they're not Christians. They don't go to church. And yet they've just welcomed his family. And they invite him over for meals. And they watch his kids. And they have play dates with his wife and their kids. And all these things. And they're caring for him. And he said, you know what? They're actually probably more hospitable nicer people than I am, <laughs> and they're not even Christians. And what he's saying, but he's saying, these are worthy people. And to embrace that and to, and to build on those and say, you know, uh, 
as Christians, we believe that we're here because we're sinners. And so it's absolutely possible that I'm going to have neighbors or coworkers who are better fathers than I am, better husbands, they're more hardworking, they're more generous. It's perfectly possible that there's going to be non-Christians who are better people than I am. I'm a Christian not because I'm a good person, but because I'm a sinner. And so we can go into a city and we can say, listen, people who uh, don't believe the way we believe can have many great qualities about them. And we should, Jesus says we should find those things out. We should look for those things in our city. We should look for those things in the culture around us, things that we can affirm, because these are all bridges for us in sharing the gospel and building relationships and being a part of the city that's around us, that we are to find out the worthiness. God has shown common grace to all people, whether they love him or not. He, he gives people good marriages. He gives, he, uh, gives them uh, happy families. He makes them hardworking and good small business owners. All of these things are evidence of God's grace in people's life. And so we can affirm all those things. And Jesus says when we go into a city, we are not just hostile to a city. We are not just antagonistic to a city. But um, we're finding out where is their worthiness. Where is God's common grace already at work? Because that's a bridge for us. But the other side of that, and this is my last little sub-point here, is uh, there's another side to that, is that there is worthiness. There's worthiness in Bellingham. I see that in my own neighbors. But um, there's a tendency, um, there's a big movement in the church right now to be missional churches. A lot of young church planners like me who want to engage their culture and, and, you know, they want to look cool. We can be cool Christians. And there's a hesitance to say anything that is controversial in a culture because we want to, we want to build all those bridges and we want to be with our community and we want to affirm our community. There's a hesitance to say anything controversial. But Jesus says that if we're really his disciples, there will always be opposition. And... Uh, and this is the second thing that we see. You see that there in, uh, in verse 14. This is what Jesus says. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. So Jesus says, he's very realistic, that when you go into a town, there are going to be people who won't like you. They won't like what you're saying. They will be hostile towards you. And it's really important, you know, he says this thing, when you go into a town and they reject you, you should shake the dust off your feet. Which sounds cold, right? Fine, you don't want to listen to what we say, I'm just going to, you know, to hell with you, you know, to, that, right? That's, uh, is that what we're going to say? Well, you know, does that seem cold? Well, would you, the, rea- the, the reality of what Jesus is saying is that if you're really going out sharing the gospel with people, loving people, being tender-hearted towards people, and they reject you, it is going to hurt. It is going to be painful. Um, it, it hurts to be rejected. And, and Jesus is saying, just for your own, psych, the, your own psyche, your own emotions, you have to be able to say, listen, if they don't want to hear what I have to say, we're going to move on. I'm not going to let my heart just be torn apart by them. And to be aware of the reality that if we are really going to preach the gospel, we're really going to teach the Bible, and are committed to the truth, there will be opposition. And so what you see throughout this passage, then, is that the mark of a missional church is a paradox, right? We say that people are lost, and, but we dump grace all over them, right? And uh, we are not 
doing the mission for money, and yet we realize that money is an important part of the mission that we're doing. And we um, believe that God is at work in our city, and there are many things that we can affirm about our city so that we're not hostile and antagonistic to our city, and yet we are sober about the reality that there's going to be opposition. We live in this tension and this paradox that makes a missional church. And the reason it's a paradox is because Jesus himself is a paradox. And people don't know what to do with him. And that we would take on that quality, and when we take on the quality of our master, we become attractive because he's attractive. And sinners and the lost and the marginalized flock to him. May they flock to us as well. So let's pray together. Our Lord, such uh, practical wisdom in these uh, words in this passage. We ask uh, that you would instruct us, that your spirit would apply these things into our life and into our church, that we would do the things you've called us to. We thank you for the privilege of being in your, uh, a part of your mission, and I pray for all the, these families and individuals that you scatter throughout uh, this city and throughout this county, that your spirit would go with them wherever they go, and uh, that we could see your kingdom going forward as we serve you. Fix our prayers on the expansion of your kingdom. Let us give ourselves to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you turn to uh, page 10 in your bulletin. We respond to God's word by professing that we believe it. 